interesting. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 15. Our responsive reading is eight verses this morning. We'd like to read responsively verses one through six of the chapter, and then we'll skip all the way to verses 17 and 18 and read those two verses as well responsively. That's again first, or Genesis chapter 15, verses one through six, and verses 17 and 18. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Allow me to read the odd-numbered verses. Would you please read with me, beginning in verse number 2, the four even-numbered verses to verse 18. First, or rather, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 17 and 18, and reading responsibly. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine error. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine error, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine error. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Let's skip down to verse number 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. May God have a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you take this, one of the more difficult passages maybe in Scripture, and make it simple for us to understand the principle this morning. We'll thank you for it. Speak to every heart. Lord, I pray a prayer, a specific prayer blessing that you bless each family that's represented in this room this morning. Start with the individual we ask, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15 while Caleb gets me some water. <laughs> Don't normally use water from the pulpit, but I need, need some right now. But uh, thank you, ladies, for that great, great uh, song, of course. Thank you, choir. Thank you, piano players. Thank you, congregation. Thank you, the nursery people can't hear me, but thanks to the nursery people for take care of those babies for us. And uh, thank you for all those other people that are doing things in the service even right now, our beginner church people and our junior church people. This is our eighth message on me and my real family, not me and my perfect family, but me and my real family. And I want you to notice our two text verses. It's verse number six of Genesis 15. The Bible says, and he, that's Abram or Abraham, believed in the Lord. And he, that's Jehovah God, counted to, to him, that's Abraham, for righteousness. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And verse 18 is our second text verse. I want you to notice verse number 18. In about two seconds, that is. Thank you.
<clears throat> See if that helps. <clears throat> I'm getting there. Verse 18. <clears throat> In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. I want to be real practical this morning. I want you to understand the message, and I mentioned in my prayer, this, we didn't read the body of the entire chapter, of course, but this is a very, one of the most difficult chapters or most misunderstood chapters maybe in the Bible, certainly amongst them for sure. I want to deal with the subject of the blessings of a covenant family, a word we don't use much around here, the word covenant. At least uh, we're not a covenant theology church. We don't, uh, there's, uh, I don't have time to go into and explain what we mean by that. I believe that God's word is divided what we say dispensationally. We have an Old Testament, an Old Covenant, and a New Testament. We're under the age of grace now, but another day, another time, another story. I may not be a covenant theologian per se. However, I believe that God is a covenant God. I believe in covenants. The Bible teaches covenants. Schofield identifies eight specific covenants. We don't have time, but just to, just to gloss over, just in a way of just a brief, brutally brief introduction, we look at, we could see the Eden, Edenic covenant with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We could look at the Noahic covenant with Noah. But we get to the third covenant that we see identified in the Bible, and that would be the Abrahamic covenant. There's seven parts to the Abrahamic covenant, and we won't take the time to go into it. This is one part of several parts that are identified as. God promising to Abraham, but I want you to give you, uh, and I want you to understand to begin with this morning that Abraham, what do we know about Abraham? Well, uh, the last two messages, last two Sunday mornings we highlighted two weeks ago, Samson, we called him the strongest weak man in the world, the strongest man God ever, God ever made. Yeah, he's so weak, and of course his family and his life and many of the people around him were destroyed because of his decisions that he made. Then we looked at Solomon just last week. I called him the wisest fool in the world. He was the wisest man God ever gave him wisdom beyond, and yet he married a thousand wives. And 3,000 years later, there's still ramifications because of Solomon's decisions. The wisest fool, wisest man in the world that became a fool. Now, if Solomon's the wisest man in the world that became a fool, and Samson's the, the mightiest man, the strongest man that became weak, I would identify maybe Abraham the father of the covenant, covenant blessing and the, the father of Israel, of course, of the Jewish race. I would call him maybe the, the lying, the lying blessed, most lying blessed man in the whole world. I mean, after all, Abraham pawned off his wife two times. He lied about his own wife and said that, he was, that she was his sister, of course. And like Abraham's family, like Solomon's family, like Samson's family, like your family, like my family, every family is flawed. Starting with the first family, Adam and Eve, and of course, and of course, the fall, of course, and we need not re reiterate that. Our first son was a murderer, and so everybody in this room, and the whole thesis of these messages, everybody in this room has flawed families, and all God's people said, "Oh me, not Amen, oh me." <laughs> we all have flawed families, broken families, messed up families. Pardon me, blended families. Uh, fractured and tried to mended families. We all have issues in our family. We all have issues in our own life. We're sinners saved by grace. But I want to deal with the subject of the covenant family this morning. I have to hurry along here. Let's, here's the question this morning. What is a biblical covenant family? I want to give you a, 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 the complex answer, if you will, and then the more simpler answer. 
The answer to the question, what is a biblical covenant family? It's a family that believes God and his promises and is therefore a fill-in-blank word, promise-keeping family or promise-keeping covenant family that, are you ready for this, that lives what they believe. A covenant family is someone, a covenant individual is somebody that makes a covenant, makes a vow, and then actually lives as a doer of the word, not here only, deceiving their own selves. If we were to take time, we have not the time to go into great detail. We find this word covenant in the Old Testament, the main word that's used for covenant is found some 280 times. In the New Testament, there's one word that's used some 33 times to define covenant. And I want to just give you for to, so we can begin to understand here where we're going with this message this morning. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. Some think they're the same, but they're not. We're great contract people. Uh, we're terrible covenant people. Contracts, three words I'll give you about what a contract is to delineate between a contract and a covenant. A contract, it's not on your worksheet, it's, it's free. A contract is breakable. A contract is negotiable. A con- contract is pliable. We're going to be voting for new contracts in one sense on Tuesday or different contracts or same contracts or what have you in Connecticut and federally speaking. And uh, Connecticut, we, have, we need to break some contracts, I'm afraid. We're already broke as a state. Some things are going to have to be, be, be renegotiated if we're going to survive. That's not a political statement. That's just a statement of fact. Contracts are breakable. They're negotiable. They're pliable. But covenants are unbreakable. They're unconditional. And here's the key word, us Christians. God's covenants are forever. God has some forever covenants. And we see this covenant recipient, this, this covenant, oh, I guess I didn't give you, did I give you, I, don't, I, don't, I think I skipped right over it, but the introductory thought was blessed, Abraham was blessed by an unconditional covenant all by grace. I forgot that, I guess. Abraham did not deserve what he got. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees when he was 75 years of age. He was an idol worshiper. God called him out of, and, and of course we see in the, the, the five-point outline for the record will chronicle the life of Abram, who becomes Abraham, becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Let me give you five simplistic points this morning here and just a way of just to touch the surface of these truths as we deal with the subject of me and my real family and specifically talking about the blessings of a covenant family or a promise-keeping family that's received grace from God and therefore their grace. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham proved his covenant, his grace that he received by performing works. We're not saved by works, but those that have salvation have good works. So I want you to notice, if you would please, covenant-keeping families, number one, turn to Genesis chapter 12, and let's hurry along and look at verse number one, two, and three, famous verses. This is where we get our appreciation. Our, our president, a year ago, we did one of the greatest things that we ever did when we let Israel have their own, their, we moved our embassy to what Israel considers for the last 70 years their own real capital. We moved the, the embassy from Tel Aviv Karen and Bonnie should be there as we speak right now in Tel Aviv. They moved it from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. 
And uh, the, the Israelite people should be very pleased with that. Some are, some are not. But look what it says. It says in verse number 12, or verse number 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Hey, Christian, by the way, he's called us out of, our, out of a country. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We, he's called us uh, uh, to be separated. He's, he's adopted us into his family if you're saved, if you receive Christ as your Savior. And we seek another city whose builder and maker is God. He took, took, he took Abram out of the land that he was, he was born in, lived in, and would have probably died in had God not called him out. This is a called out assembly. This is a church, not the building, but the people. God called Abram out in verse number two, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And make thy name great, and thou shalt, notice this, be a blessing. And verse number three, if you have it there with me, this is why it's good for America to be good to Israel, and it's good for any country to be good to Israel, because look what it says. Let's read it together. Ready? And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Notice point number one, Roman numeral number one. Covenant families are a blessing to all families. Covenant families are a blessing to all families. Now let's talk about, for just a moment, we say, preacher, what are you talking about? The Jews have been a blessing to people around the world down through the centuries. God's, uh, God's covenant people. In Acts, you need not turn to chapter 3, verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with his father, with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. God said, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the nations of the world be blessed. You think of the blessings because of the Jews. Let me give you, say, what blessings have Jews given us? By the way, let me insert and just say, the longer I live, this is not a statement of, uh, I'm not a, a race baiter, I'm not a Jew hater by any stretch of the imagination. Far from it. I've said it many hundreds of times, my Savior was a Jew. Abraham was a Jew. We are blessed because of the Jews. You say, preacher, give me two reasons why we're blessed with Jews. Let me give them to you. Number one, the Bible. We got the Bible, the Word of God, Romans 3, 2, if you want a verse. To them was committed the oracles of God. We got the Word of God came through Jews. We got salvation, John chapter 4, verse 22. Salvation came to the Jew first, and salvation is of the Jews. And so those two benefits alone, we thank God for the, this covenant family, this Abrahamic family, that we're of all the nations of the world are being blessed by them. It was interesting, the shooter a couple weeks ago, was, I'm sure you all heard the news now, he went into, he screamed as he went into that synagogue, I want to kill Jews. And they, they saved him by a Jewish doctor and several Jewish nurses. They saved his life, interesting. But through two things about this letter A and B on our worksheet, you'd like to fill that out. You see, covenant-keeping families are a blessing to all families in two ways at least. Letter A, they're a blessing to other people. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? If we had time, we're not going to take the time to go to Genesis 14, just turn back a page and just glance at verses 16 to 24 for time's sake. Lot, Abram's nephew, because of his wrong decisions, Lot got in trouble and Lot got taken, taken captive. And Abram raised his, up his family, took his own royal seed and the seed of his household and 380 men, and they went and they, they rescued Lot and his entire family. 
And then he paid tithes at all to that king, that, that mysterious king who's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, Melchizedek. The Bible says, and Abraham paid tithes of all. Abraham rescued someone that deserved to get what he got, but he rescued him. And later on, we get to chapter 18, and some of you know the Sodom and Gomorrah story. We won't go into that for time's sake. But covenant people are blessings. Biblically covenant families are blessings to other people. Your neighbor doesn't know, your next door neighbor doesn't know this probably. They should know it, but they probably don't know it. You are the best friend that they have if you're a covenant, if you're a child of God, if you're living for the Lord. You're the best friend that they have. The, uh, they're a blessing to other people. Then let her be there. They're a blessing to lost family members. Now, we're not a covenant church in this respect. See, covenant churches, among other things, not all, but most covenant churches, see, here's how you become a Christian. You come into the church because your mother and grandfather or your grandmother and grandfather were in the church and your great-grandfather and your mom and dad were in the church and you get christened as a baby. You go through classes. You go, eventually get confirmed, usually at the age of 12 or 13. You get catechized. You get taught the word of God and so forth. And you grow up in the church and you become a Christian because why are you a Christian? Because, well, mom and dad were Christians. And grandma and grandpa were Christians. And I grew up in Christians. And they use verses out of context. For example, 1 Corinthians 7, 14. I'll give you the verse. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Elsewhere are your children unclean, but now are ye holy. I'll use the illustration. One of these days, my mom and dad are going to learn how to get on the web and the internet, and they're going to have to be careful what I say from the pulpit. But they, right now, they can't hear our messages online. But my mom called me for her weekly, weekly Sunday morning call. I didn't get the call this morning. I got a two-minute voicemail. It was away from the phone. And uh, mom fell though, this week, uh, this past week. She gashed her head. She fell out of bed and gashed her head open. And, and mom's a, you know, if we were using slang, mom's a tough old bird. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, just you know, go to the doctor, get some stitches, and she's up and running. And uh, she's fine. But my, my mom's been a devout Christian, as many of you know, for many, many years now working on a half a century, 40-some years at least. Well, my dad was never a Christian up until less than two years ago. But my, my mom, I would like to say, salvation, we know it's all of the Lord, but God used my mother to wear down my dad for 60 years of marriage, 61 years of marriage now. Wear down my dad. He finally capitulated and finally threw up his arms, so to speak, and he came to know Christ as his Savior because of my, my mother's godly testimony you see, you are a blessing to every, every saved person in this room. You are a blessing to your lost family members. Or let's put it this way. You should be a blessing to every lost family member you have. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your, your, your siblings, what have you. Maybe it's your parents. But Abraham was a blessing to all other people, and he was a blessing to his family members as well. But then secondly, and we must hurry, a second truth of covenant-keeping families like Abraham, turn to Genesis, or, or Genesis chapter 15, verse number 6 again. It's the key verse, and it says, we see this reiterated in Romans 2, which I'll touch on in just a moment. But once more, the Bible says, and Abraham, what's the next word? And he, pardon me, and he what? Believed. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Belief must be coupled with faith. 
Abraham believed God, or, and he believed in the Lord, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Old Testament saints were not saved by keeping the law. Nobody could ever be saved by the, keeping the law, for then Christ is dead in vain. It's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to, to, to wash away sin, the Bible tells us, in the Old Testament. Only by the blood of Jesus Christ. So here's point number two. You see, covenant-keeping families, biblically covenant-keeping families, start with the blessing and promise of the gospel. You say, what do you mean, preacher? You say, I get the blessing of all blessings from God Almighty. I mean, you understand that everybody that's, every good gift and perfect gift is, is from above. The gift of life is God's gift. If you're breathing today, and I trust you are, I don't think anybody's dead here yet. Huh. Maybe somebody died during the service. That's happened before. Not here, but it happens. Right now you're alive. That's a gift from God. Great gift. Don't squander life. Don't squander time. That's what the stuff life is made of. But uh, far greater than the gift of life is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By receiving Jesus as your Savior. And Abraham exercised he wasn't justified by works. Romans 4.2 says it this way. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Or he could glory if Abraham was saved by his works righteousness. But not before God. He wouldn't, he wouldn't glory to God. He earned his salvation. It's foolish for some people to think and try to mix works with grace. Try to think, well, uh, uh, a little bit of, a lot of God's grace, a little bit of my works, and I'll make it in heaven. Oh, no, my friend. You couldn't be any more wrong. Abraham believed God. I'm quoting Romans 4.3 now. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but, to, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now let me give you A, B, and C on the worksheet here in regards to what a covenant family Covenant-keeping family or covenant-keeping individual has, is when they start off with the blessing and promise of the gospel, they are, first of all, they are kept, letter A, they are kept unto salvation by his sacrifice. Now I'm going to try in 90 seconds or thereabouts to look at a most incredibly hard passage to that confuses people. I'm referring to Genesis 15 and verse number 17. Notice what it says. If we were to take the time, I would have read all the way from verses 7 to the end of the chapter, of course. But verse 17, And it came to pass that when the sun went down, Abram, in the previous verses, he fell asleep. He gets a vision from God. And the Bible says, And the sun came down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace. Now, most theologians, and I tend to agree with this, Believe that that is reference, specific reference to the fact that the children of Israel, Abraham's seed, are going to go to the fiery furnace, the burning furnace of Egypt. Egypt is always a picture of the world. They're going to be in bondage and darkness for 400 plus years before their deliverer, Moses, and the Exodus takes place. And so we have the smoking furnace. By the way, there is a place called hell, and the smoke of her turmoil descended up forever and ever and ever. This preacher, for one, doesn't preach on hell as much as he should. But there's a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Jesus is the light of the world, John chapter 1. He's the light of the world. And, uh, and the Bible says, And a burning lamp passed between those pieces. What is he talking about? 
Well, if you just glance at verse 9 and 10 for time's sake, I told you this is a hard passage to understand if you, without dissecting it thoroughly. You see, God said, Abraham, I want you to take, notice verse number 9, a heifer of three years old and a goat of three years old, a ram, some turtle doves, pigeons. Uh, Marty Schott paraphrased now. He says, I want you to kill these, land, these animals. I want you to divide them asunder. And then in this vision, this dream, with darkness, I want you to know that Jesus, he's our sacrifice. Jesus is our go-between. He's our mediator. He came from heaven to earth. He was suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. He's our great go-between, our great mediator, our, our perfect sacrifice. When he said those words, it is finished, he died on the cross. And he paid it all. Hebrews 9.26 says, But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, that covenant, that, that promise that he kept with his heavenly Father to come and die for mankind, he fulfilled it to the very letter. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, he said. And he went to that cross. And Hebrews 10.29 says this, Of how much sore punishment shall ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath, and hath counted, listen carefully, and hath counted the blood and hath counted the blood and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he is, was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You see, it's his blood. And his blood that is totally, to use a fancy theological word, efficacious for our sins. It totally atones us, makes us at one minute with the Father. It totally cleanses us, justifies us just as if we never sinned. That blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You see, we are kept by that, by, unto salvation by his sacrifice. This is an unconditional covenant that God gave to Abraham in chapter 15. And he gives us an unconditional covenant, not two-sided, one-sided. He, Jesus paid it all. Letter B, quickly. Those that have this covenant blessing of the gospel. The God, word gospel means good news, by the way. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he died and was buried and he rose again. And he has blessed us the covenant people, are, they are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Friday, I preached at a conference over in, a preacher's conference over in Vernon and Rockville. I don't say this to, I just, I hate preaching to those things. I'll tell you why. Because they had preachers from Quebec and around New England and New York and so forth. And I was one of the three preachers in the morning. And uh, I went Thursday night and they had another preacher there Thursday night. And there's some guys that can just, I mean, just flat out preach. And then, then, then there, was, there was me sandwiched in the middle of it. And it's like, oh, man, I, I dread preaching to these. Yeah, I'm like the eighth and ninth batter or the benchy on the baseball team. These guys are third and fourth hitters. They could really preach. But I want you to know that God loves me as much as any one of those superstar preachers there has been that were at that conference or anywhere else. And I want you to know, no matter how great you think that superstar Christian is that sits next to you or in this church building somewhere, that you're loved by God as much as any saint of God 
God doesn't have his favorites. He loves his children. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Letter C, I got to quit preaching, start teaching here a little bit here. So let me just give you point number C, letter C. This, is, this true faith always produces works. Now, we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2.8, let's quote it together. If you don't know it, I want you to try it with me or try it with us. Ready? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9 says this, not of works, lest any man should boast. We usually stop right there. But we need to go on to verse number 10. The Bible says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness and his faith brought action, brought obedience. And he left that Ur of the Chaldees and he went through those 800 miles of desert sand. He went to Haran and then down from Haran he went down to what we know of today as Palestine or more properly Israel. He did it all by faith. You see, covenant families were blessed with a covenant with the blessing and the promise of the gospel, where Jesus said, I'll never leave you. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. For whosoever you will may come and take of the water of life freely. Those that have partaken of that, that divine grace, all of God, all of God, and yet where we come and we, we, we by faith, faith is exercised and, and brings forth works. But I want you to notice thirdly, it took me, Good night. It took me almost 25 minutes to get to the crux of our message and our seed thoughts for these last eight weeks of messages and the next several weeks as well. Me and my real family. You see, covenant, biblically covenant families demonstrate the sacredness of covenant or promise keeping through keeping their marriage vows. I, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I'm not out to hurt anybody. If you think I'm out to hurt you, I, be blunt. I, I have a lot of problems, but that's not one of them. I don't want to hurt anybody in this room. I'm not naive. I know who I'm speaking to this morning. I understand that some of you have had breakage in, your, in a marriage. I understand that. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Your worksheet says, the bulletin says... Uh, Oh, I guess it is right. Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. Just glance at it for time's sake. There's actually several verses, but no, I want you to notice that so Abraham departed and as the Lord had spoke to him, verse 4, when, I'm paraphrasing verse 4, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed to Haran. But verse 5, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, of course, and his family. He took her, and I want to give you two parts of this here this morning here to, as we consider marriage vows. Consider the vows of the groom. Jesus is, according to Revelation 19, he's the bridegroom. The vows of the groom. Uh, the vows of the groom are to love his wife like Christ loves the church. Can you imagine that love? And the answer is every man in this room, no, we can't. Can we comprehend the love of Christ which passes knowledge? God says in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, if you can quote it with me, try it. I know some of you guys cringe because you say, preacher, do we have to go through this again? Yes. Ready? It goes like this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
I think personally, privately, the most hardest command in all the Bible right there. I happen to be a man, happen to be a groom, happen to be a husband. Love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself forward, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Hey, there's a reason why, well, let me read the next verse, by the way. <clears throat> that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a reason why most weddings, the bride comes down in a white dress. It's symbolic. It's picturesque of beauty, of purity. And it's a picturesque. One day he's gonna, we're going to worship him in white robes with our harps, by the way. I don't know if we all have harps. Some of us have tambourines, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Just having fun. But the Bible goes on to say this, Ephesians 5, 27. But that he should, it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives, even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. We're to love like Christ loves his church. We're to stay covenant. We're to keep that promise that we call it a vow, not a contract. We're not with a prenuptial agreement. But no, the Bible says in Malachi 2.14, Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. The greatest covenant that I ever made, the greatest vow I ever made, or the greatest question I asked was not, it wasn't, my wife's in the room, it wasn't, will you marry me? It was, Lord Jesus, I'm a wretched sinner. I don't deserve to be saved. But would you come in my heart and save me from my sins? And he didn't have to do that, but he came into my heart anyhow. He accepted, the greatest decision I ever made is when I received Christ as my Savior. The greatest decision, the greatest covenant did you ever enter into is the salvation covenant of the gospel of Jesus Christ by receiving him as your Savior. But the second greatest covenant that we make on planet Earth is when we stand in an altar and we make a vow. Do you promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health and poverty and in wealth and forsaking all others, keep the only unto her or him, so long as you both to love, do you so promise? I do. Will you, Martin John Schott, have Sandra Sue Shear to have? <laughs> Yours was different, I know. There's a vow. When that vow requires to, that we love like Christ loves, grooms. It requires, let's hurry along here, to, secondly, to provide and protect. To provide and protect for time's sake in First Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Boy, the, the women's rights movement, they love that verse, don't they? Calling him Lord. Uh, I just got a funny thought. You ladies, you wives, turn to your husband right now. <laughs> You're not going to do it, are you? You say, oh, no, please. Yeah, yeah. Lord. <laughs> we could have some fun with that one. Call him Lord. Now, let me try to get serious again if it's too, not too late. Whose daughters are ye, as long as ye do well, and not be afraid with any amazement. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to 
knowledge, giving honor to unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. In the beginning of the heirs of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. When men are brought, the grooms are to protect and provide for their spouse, for their wife. I was talking to the police chief, or the fire marshal, rather, or the fire, oh, what do you call him? The chief of the of a certain fire department. At the, I met him at the, uh, the fair, the Harrington Fair. We talked for 20 minutes or so. We were really fun talking. We were talking to a big old guy, been the head of the department for like 40 years. We had a great talk. I gave, gave, gave him the whole gospel, and uh, he took one of our sticks and so forth. And, and uh, somehow we got on women in combat and women in the military, and... Uh, then they dovetailed into women in fires. And I said, well, listen, at my size, all that I care about is somebody's big enough and strong enough to care, drag me out of a burning building if it's on fire. Uh, they can be a woman, but they better be a big woman. Better be a strong woman. Or I don't want no, pardon me, wussy guy, pardon me, I'm just being, I want a guy that can handle me, get me out of the fire. Uh, you know, it's just a fact of life. It's not a misogynist statement, it's just a, Last time I checked, men are stronger physically overall than women. I didn't get a single amen. I was waiting for one amen to get out of that. You guys are all chicken. I know you are. But it's true. There's a weaker vessel. Ladies, that's not, that's not impugning it at all. I got, I'm digging a hole is what I'm doing right now. Let's go on to number three real quickly here. Three among several others that time does not permit. But the vow to the groom is to love his, love like, love his spouse like Christ of his bride like Christ to provide and protect, but thirdly, to encourage. Finally, be of one mind, ha- having compassion one another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Uh, guys, turn your ears off for just a second. Ladies, or, you know, I'm, I'm, you know what, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute. Let's go on to the letter B. The vows of the bride. We looked at it last week. To help and support, Genesis 2.18. To help and support. Uh, by the way, Proverbs 31, in the epistles it says that wives to be keepers at home, but Proverbs chapter 31, we see a businesswoman. Read, it, read the chapter, read it for yourself. She worketh well with her hands, she sells, she sells her garments and she buys fields. The idea that women are, are not allowed to work, that's contrary to Proverbs 31, it's contrary to the Bible. But they are to be, they, they got a double duty. They got to work outside the house, many of them, and work inside the house. They're to help and support. They're to admire or to cherish. And the Bible says in verse 33 that, that uh, of Ephesians 5, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and see that the wife said she reverence her husband. Ladies, cherish your husband. Now, ladies, turn your ears off. Or men, just turn, tune me out for a minute here. Ladies, let me let you in a little secret. Now, guys will not admit it. But guys like to be... Thank you. They like to be buttered up. They like to be schmoozed. They like to hear nice things. I know you find this hard to believe, but I'll just give you one illustration. Sometimes I lay a complete bomb when I preach, like quite often, actually. And I, I you know, I, I get come home on a Sunday morning, after Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service, and I said, oh, man, I really laid an egg. And Sonny will say to me, most of the time, she'll say, what, are you talking about tonight or this morning? She says, oh, that was a good message. I said, no, it wasn't. She says, oh, yes, it was. She says, it really was a good message. I said, yeah, you're lying to me. You're just trying to make me feel better. She says, no, no, it was a really good message. Could you tell me that again, please? <laughs> I need to hear it. We all need encouragement. By the way, can I transition for a moment? Pastors need to be encouraging. 
I said earlier, I'm not trying to hurt anybody in this room. I'm not trying to say, family, preacher, you've been preaching on families for eight weeks and you're discouraging me. My family's messed up. They're all messed up families. Uh, as a preacher, I, never my goal to encourage you or to discourage you, but to encourage you and to build you up in the most holy faith. Fellows, that's our job. Ladies, by the way, that's your job as well. Building up one another. Submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord, but also building up. So ladies are to help and support. The brides are to help and support. They're to admire and they're to submit. Oh, there's that dirty six-letter word again. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the... That was very weak, ladies. You didn't see that coming. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. We're to submit. You say, well, if he was smarter, if he was, I could submit. No, it doesn't say that. It says submit. And men, we're not to lord over our wives. Let me hurry along here. Look, look at Roman number four and give you a fourth truth of biblically covenant families. Like Abraham, we are commanded in Genesis 18, 19, it says these words, and I'm going to paraphrase or try to give you part of the verse. For I know him, Jehovah God said, and that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, and the Lord, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. We're covenant-keeping families that are to train up their children to follow the Lord. covenant Keeping families are to train up their children to follow the Lord by letter A, by teaching them the word of God. Letter B, by taking them to church. If I hear one more time, I've, I've heard this so many times, it makes me sick. Over the years, I've heard adults say, well, my parents made me go to church. As if that's a criminal act. You know, I, well, my parents, they made me go to school. My parents, they made me wear clothes. My parents, they made me eat. They made me eat food even. Well, my parents made me go to church. Oh, you poor soul. I would say it's probably child abuse for, in fact, and I can get funny, but I get very serious. I think it is child abuse for a Christian family not to say they're, let me say it out, bring their children to church. And all God's people said, Thank you for that. That was better. Amen. We teach them to follow the Lord by teaching them the word of God, by taking them to church. Timothy knew from a child the Holy Scriptures, which are making wise in salvation, and the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Then let her see. By the way, well, let me just meddle for one second before I go on to the last point. When you take your kid to the activity, whatever that activity may be, you fill in the blank, sports activity on Sunday morning or whatever it is, you're teaching them that that's more important than God is. Now that's sober preaching, but that was good preaching. Because we serve a covenant God. It was unconvenient. You think it was convenient for him to go to the cross? You think it was convenient for him to come down and leave the perfect heaven and come to this sin-cursed earth to be mocked and ridiculed and 2,000 years later to be mocked at and, and blasphemed every day of, of 
throughout this earthly existence here on planet Earth where people blaspheme his name regularly. He did it all for us. We train up our children by taking them to church, by teaching them the word of God, and by then, letter C, by telling them to stay faithful throughout a lifetime. Now, there's a whole lot of people, there's one way that the word of God is void, it's when there's no ears to hear it. Millennials, I'm not trying to pick on you personally. You're here. Thank you very much. I saw a poll, a Pew poll came out, a Pew Research poll came out just the other day, a couple weeks ago. I heard it on the radio. Our church attendance has dropped by 4% according from 2013 to present days. I don't know how accurate that is. Millennials are leaving the houses of God. We're not... Oh, pardon me, you're right. I was going to say we're not hip enough. I'm not hip enough, that's for sure. Somebody say, what's hip, right? I understand. I'm not sure what hip is either. It was something I talked about when I was in my teenage years. (laughs) Not cool enough. Not in vogue enough. You you choose your... But covenant children stay in church. Number five here, I've gone over time, so let me give you the point in application, we're done. Covenant-keeping families or biblical covenant families, fifthly, are completed and rewarded. Back to Genesis 15, and we know that turned there, but God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a seeding great reward. I have that seed. Nor ear hath heard. Hey, I'd like to go to Mar-a-Lago. I don't think I'll ever get there. Some of you, I I figured it out a long time ago, some of you don't like mansions. I like mansions. I've been to Hertz Castle in California. I've been to Vanderbilt Mansion in in, in Charlotte. I mean, if I had to live in a dump of a building in, pardon me, in a trailer or in a uh, tent city of some place in Bangladesh maybe, or live in a mansion, I take the mansion. Well, I want you to know that there's a eternal reward for a, a, a biblically covenant families, let me read it, are com- completed and rewarded with God's eternal family in heaven one day. Hebrews chapter 11, we read about Abraham once again. He, he went out not knowing whither he went. He went out by faith, the Bible says. And he looked for a city whose foundations, whose builder and with foundations, whose builder and maker is God. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look to the Savior. I'm done, and let me, the plane's coming down on the tarmac. We're landing here just, but Tuesday, I think, is very important in our country. I do. I think you should vote. That is, if you vote for the right people. I don't want you to vote if you vote for the wrong people. Just stay away from the polls. Our country could take a decided turn. We're having the greatest economic blessings that we've had in the history of our country. Lowest unemployment. There's so many things to be thankful for. But all we hear on the news is bad, 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 bad. Well, I'd still rather live in America than any other country on the face of the earth. I know we've got a lot of problems, so I'd like to keep our country going in a some way, some way half-right direction. I wish America, we could make America godly again. 
I wanted to be great again, and I want to keep it great, but I'd love to see it godly. But with all that said, this world is not my home. And it doesn't matter what happens in America or in Connecticut on Tuesday, in one sense, because I'm a covenant person, and I have a covenant God, and he's blessed me. He's going to bless me forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven. And I'm planning on trying to take as many of my family members with me as I possibly can. And you do that by faithfully working and working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And be faithful to your covenant God with covenant promises. God, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to serve you till the day I die, until you take me home to be with him, to be with you. Heavenly Father, give us the faith of our fathers. Lord, there was a day then, Lord, some of us in this room, Lord, not all, but some had very godly mothers and fathers. Some had very godly grandparents, maybe great-grandparents. They're gone now. Man, man, the other day, Lord, you know who I'm thinking of, Lord. He's not in church today, I'm sure of it. But his, his granddaddy was a, was a, was a gospel-preaching preacher. But he's not in church today. Oh, Lord, that's so sad. Grandfather's in heaven, and I'm sure he is. He's, and if he could look down through the portals of heaven, he'd be, or to earth, he would be so disappointed to see his grandson not living for you. Lord, help us to be covenant people, knowing that there's a great blessing with covenant. Lord, bless, I pray for each family member that's represented in this room. Help us to be the family members that we need to be, unconditionally, no matter how our spouse or no matter how our siblings or our children act or respond. May we do right, and we might be a blessing. Pray your blessing in these moments of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together, page 165 it is. We'll sing the first verse. I've gone.